Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. They thought they were living in the last days. Certainly we look at the signs of the times and we believe we're living in the last days. But here's what you need to know. Well, for them, it was the last days anyway. I mean, and for us, whether these are the last days or our last days, well, you understand, right? We only have this opportunity to represent and, and serve the Lord. Today we begin a new two-part message from Pastor Sam entitled Overcomers. The Gospel of Luke chapter 18 is the focus of our study, and today we study starting verse 1, the parable of the persistent widow, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and we see Jesus' response when the disciples bring little children to him. So let's listen in. Luke 18, Overcomers. We've seen again and again as we've walked together through the Gospel of Luke how important the context is in really getting to the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate. And it's important, of course, in this chapter to know that Jesus had just given his some disciples some, well, pretty troubling news. He's been trying to explain and will yet again that he's headed to Jerusalem to be handed over to the chief priest, that he's going to be crucified, but he'll rise again. But in the last chapter, toward the end, he mentioned to them that things were going to get rougher and rougher, tougher and tougher, not better and better. And that would be true in the first century. It certainly will be true in the 21st century. He described the times as the last days. And it's interesting because... The disciples, no doubt, when the persecution began and they were experiencing all sorts of tribulation, they thought they were living in the last days. Certainly, we look at the signs of the times and we believe we're living in the last days. But here's what you need to know. Well, for them, it was the last days anyway. I mean, and for us, whether these are the last days or our last days, well, you understand, right? We only have this opportunity to represent and, and serve the Lord. So these are our last days either way. I believe we're living in the last days spoken of by Jesus where things will get, well, apparently it'll look like it's out of hand. Of course, God, as Rob uh, led us to sing, is in control. But it'll be like the days of Noah, like the days of Lot. So their, their, their hearts are a bit troubled. And as we look around and we see what's going on, our hearts could be a bit troubled too. The odds seem stacked against us and so many around us have been victims or consider themselves victims. This chapter is actually all about overcoming and what we're going to see is a series of parables and encounters illustrating the importance of and God's plan for overcoming. Overcoming adversity, obstacles, misplaced priorities, preconceived ideas, sin and death personal limitations, and finally, the devil himself. It begins with overcoming adversity through prayer. And he gives us two parables, and they're really two sides of a coin. The first illustrates the importance of persistence in prayer. The second illustrates the importance of humility in prayer. Strikes a balance, and we'll see that. He speaks, verse 1, and it says, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. He's telling them, I want you to be men of prayer. 
And I don't want you to lose heart saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The doctrinal issue here is the priority of persevering in prayer. And it's interesting because, you know, early on in Jesus' ministry, he talked to his disciples about prayer. And you'll notice if you realize he has a three, three and a half year ministry to these guys, that this will be a theme that he continues to develop. But even in the very early teaching recorded for us in Matthew's gospel, Jesus talks about persevering in prayer when he says, ask and seek and knock, ask. And it means keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. But he also warns in that very same passage not to use vain repetition. Well, how can I continually come to the Lord with the same request and not find myself using vain repetition? It all comes down to understanding that word vain. It means mindless or mechanical prayer. And if you want to know how that happens, well, there are a lot of reasons for it. I think one of them is we'll take prayers Jesus actually taught us to pray and then we'll just learn them and then we'll just repeat them as if, if I say this over and over and over, it's going to achieve the end result. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying scripture, but I think Jesus is asking us to be aware of what we're praying, conscious when we're praying, not just praying. And then not even if he said, hey, what did you say? Well, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. I thought you were listening. And uh, so so the idea is we want to persist in prayer. Now, how important is persistent prayer? He uses a bad example to teach a good lesson. He's done this before. He'll do it again. But I remember when Pam and I first came to Christ, I shared with many of you that I was the first in my little circle. It was like God pulled me out of that thing through a couple friends outside of my circle, but known to me. And, and uh, they shared the Lord with me. I came to Christ. They come back into my circle and I was the only Christian in that circle. And it was a pretty large circle of family and friends. And we began to pray Pam was praying with me for other people's salvation before she gave her life to the Lord because, well, hey, she's the only one there. And I'm like, we're going to pray for these guys. She never said, well, don't you know I'm not a Christian yet? She just said, well, OK, you know, and we prayed. It took a few months, by the way, for Pam to come to the Lord after I did. Why? Because she was waiting to see if I was for real, if this was really going to take I I'd taken her through so many bizarre things. Don't have time for all of it or really any of it, but. I dragged her down to the Krishna place and the food wasn't bad, but those pink skirts and the hairdo, that wasn't going to happen. And, but, you know, a lot of weirdness like that. And, and she'll tell you. But but here's the deal. We started praying for our friends and for our family. And some of them came to the Lord right away and we got all excited. We're like, wow, this prayer thing really works. 
So we pray for, well, my buddy Frank, he was a drummer. I played in bands with him for about eight of the, the uh, many years that I, I played music professionally. And, and I just so loved this guy. He lived with Pam and I for a lot of the first years of our marriage. And, and uh, he was just a super nice guy. Actually glad I'd come to the Lord. But he didn't see any need for Jesus in his life. And so we were praying for him and witnessing to him. And a year went by and two and five and 10 and 15 and 20. And the whole time when we'd see him and we saw him every year, a few times, you know, and and we'd be like, you know, we're still praying for you. He's like, yeah, keep it up. But uh, it, it was like there was nothing to indicate that prayer was ever going to be answered. And yet we prayed for him because we cared for him. And then lo and behold, 22, 24, I don't know, somewhere around there, the guy comes to the Lord. I'm like, how did that happen? He goes, well, you're the one who's been praying all this time. Don't you know? But, but we prayed and we prayed and finally he came to the Lord. He's a worship leader in the church where he serves now. And it's just such a cool thing. I mean, this is a guy that I played in the bands with. When, when I was a teenager, when I had a phony ID playing with my buddy Leo Giovanetti, also in that same band who pastors Mission Valley Christian Fellowship down in San Diego. My point is this. Persisting in prayer is absolutely biblical. Badgering God or commanding God or demanding of God, absolutely unbiblical. And the second parable we'll look at in a moment will we'll so illustrate the importance of humility, just coming and, and saying, Lord, you know, be merciful, have mercy. So doctrinally, we're dealing with this area of persistent prayer. And Jesus, by the way, addressing this very same issue, asked at one point, actually, he asked this twice. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? In Matthew 7, 11, he says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And in Luke eleven thirteen, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The idea here is we're evil, but we still try to do good to our families. He's pure good. Will he not do better than we would? Will the just judge not be better than the unjust judge? Well, certainly he will be. Practically, there's a reminder here that God cares for widows and orphans. And James, and we just looked at the book of James in our survey Wednesday, he tells us that we should be caring for widows and orphans as well. That, that pure and undefiled religion before God is to visit widows and orphans in their, their distress. And that word actually means to visit them and check them out and survey and consider their situation and then figure out what you can do to help them. And so God cares for the down and outers, the marginalized, the hurting. Well, the next parable here helps strike a balance focusing on the importance of humility in prayer. So it says he spoke, verse 9, this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Have to pause for just one second and ask you a very important question. Those of you who've been studying from the beginning, walking through Luke with us, getting familiar with the ministry of Jesus, do you know that the hero in this story would not be the one you would have expected before you started really studying scripture? You know the hero's going to be who? The tax collector. Of course, aren't they always heroes? Aren't they heroes to us? 
No, they're not. But in Jesus stories, they are. And I just love that, you know, because that means you're starting to put it together that Jesus sees people differently than we do. We would have looked at the Pharisees the same way other people did and thought, man, they're so spiritual. They're so holy. They're so righteous. They're so right on. We look at the tax collector the same way we do today. And the closer it gets to April, the less we like them. And, and so Jesus, though, is going to make a hero out of this guy, not because of what he does, but because of how he comes to the Lord. Well, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. And again, if he had stopped there, this would have been, well, just an excellent prayer. You want to pray something that pleases the Lord? Thank God you're not like other men. And just thank God you're not the man you used to be. The, the prayer is very simple. Lord, I may not be all I hope to be. I just thank you. I'm not what I used to be. That's a wonderful prayer. And if he had stopped here, God would have gotten glory. He would have been saying, Lord, you've changed me. But note from every point, every other thing he has to say, the emphasis isn't on God's goodness or God's transformation or God's glory. He's just comparing himself now with other people. And he's comparing himself with the worst of other people. He says, I thank you. I'm not like others, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Not only is he grateful and really praising himself here for what he isn't, he praises himself for what he is and does. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. You see, he was pr prayerful and thankful he was honest and just and virtuous and temperate and benevolent, but he was self-righteous. And self-righteousness will put us out of the will of God. It never brings us into the will of God. It's I have to come to him acknowledging I have no righteousness of my own. So the second man comes, the tax collector standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I want to encourage you, if you're going to pray at the end of this service, and I encourage all of you to pray. I mean, we're going to give an invitation. If you've never given your life to the Lord, I want to encourage you to do it today. If you've given your life to the Lord and things aren't what they should be, well, you can say, Lord, I want to make them all they should be. If, if you can look back and remember a time where things were better, you were closer, you were more fruitful or faithful, well, you can confess that, but, but here's the deal. You don't need to memorize anything long and complicated. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That'll work. And then he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. We have a play on words to remember what that word means. What is it? God deals with me just as if I'd never sinned. I want you to say it so I know you remember it. God deals with me just as if I never sinned. I can't hear you. God deals with me just as if I never sinned. Why is that important? You know, I hardly ever do that. It's so important because when you read this word, I want you to remember that that's how God sees you. Not as someone, all right, I'll let you in. I don't really like the idea. I know you're going to mess up again. 
No, he deals with me and he deals with you as someone just as if we'd never sinned. And, and so he says, this guy was justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a very interesting promise if you spend even a moment thinking about it. What's Jesus saying? You're going to be exalted either way. The difference? Who exalts you and what happens next? The picture is you exalt yourself. Well, God will humble you. You humble yourself. God will exalt you. Now, you don't have to be a genius to know that if God exalts you, that's a good thing. If God humbles you, well, he says, well, you've kind of gotten yourself in the mindset of this Pharisee and in the mindset of those who thought they were righteous and because of that ended up despising others. See, this Pharisee, though he was prayerful and thankful and honest and just and virtuous and temperate and benevolent, he was self-righteous and prideful. But this tax collector, man, he, he's just humble before the Lord. And, and this strikes the balance. We come to the Lord persevering in prayer, not demanding, not commanding, just not my will, but yours be done. But Lord, you're going to hear me here every morning praying for my son, or you're going to see me every evening praying for my wife, or you're going to see me all the time praying for my friends and family. He's okay with that. You're not badgering him. He doesn't mind. He's pleased and blessed that you continue to come. That's showing faith in his promise that if you persevere, you know you're going to have an answer. And I also like that he says he's going to do it speedily. I've noticed God's timetable, though, isn't mine. He doesn't seem to be in a hurry at all. I often am. I'm troubled and I'm like, Lord, I need you to deal with this. And I'd really like you to deal with it right now. And he's like, done. And I'm like, but I don't see anything. And he's like, that's okay. It's going to happen. Yeah, but I would I, I mean, right now. I mean, right now, right now. Well, you do the same thing so you understand. Well, not just coming or overcoming adversity through prayer. The second, overcoming obstacles and bringing our children to Jesus. And what happens here is interesting in light of in the last chapter, Jesus warns his disciples and others listening in not to put a stumbling block or not to do anything that would hinder someone in their coming to or growing in Jesus. And here we have parents bringing their infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Can you imagine? You bring your kids in and you're like, hey, pastor, would you mind dedicating my son? And, and, and Bud and the guys come over and say, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Sam's a busy man. Don't be asking him to. Well, that would be bizarre, wouldn't it? How much more bizarre when it's Jesus? No, they're, they're saying, hey, Jesus doesn't have time. We might be able to get you in at four o'clock, but, you know, come back and make an appointment. No, Jesus called to them and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Do you know that when Moses faced off with Pharaoh and Moses said, hey, God said to tell you, let my people go that they might worship me, that they might serve me. Pharaoh said, I don't know the Lord and I won't let these people go. Who's the Lord that I should obey him? And God said, well, stand back and I'll show him. So he does. And in the midst of the judgments that fell on Pharaoh and on Egypt, 
Pharaoh offers Moses four compromises. You should go and read it later. It's fascinating read. And, and it's there in Exodus. I'm just starting in the beginning and read till you see the four. Look for them. Pharaoh four different times comes and says, okay, okay, okay. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here, let's, let's work a deal. Let's see what we can do to get you out there worshiping God. The third of the four compromises is this. He says, look at your men. You want to go, you go out and you worship, do whatever you want, but you leave your kids behind with me. Now, listen, Pharaoh knows one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to go out and not come back. Well, then he has their kids or they're going to go out and come back. Then he has them and their kids. And I want to tell you, Pharaoh in that story is a type of Satan. And the, the picture is the enemy is out to destroy marriages. He's out to destroy families. He's out to destroy children. And Jesus is saying, bring those kids to me. That's what the kingdom's all about. You know, we believe this when you look around and find out there's 800 kids in our church. And that's just up to sixth grade. We believe the kingdom's about children. And you obviously do, too, because you're bringing your children not just the church, but to Jesus. And, and that's the call here. That's the example to follow. If you're a parent, your number one priority should be making sure your kids are rooted and, and established in Jesus. But he says something else here. And, and, and that is, well, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, those words, little child, very important, will by no means enter it. You know, you don't have to wait to the teen years for your kids to get complicated. If you have kids and, you know, they're 9, 10, 11, you know, already there's starting to be some serious complication. Not saying that's all bad. They just start to think. They get introspective. A lot's going on. But you look at little, little kids, the kids in the preschool down here, the two and three year olds, they are absolutely full of faith and, and they're humble and they're dependent and, and they're, they're just simple. There's a purity. Yes, they're little sinners, but they don't even know that yet. There's just a purity that's so wonderful. You know, Wednesday night they, they were doing a, um, a, a little prayer thing with the kids and they created a sheet and you were supposed to put who you want to pray for on the sheet. And it was so cute. My little two and a half year old grandson, Eli, was in there. And, 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 uh, and so he brings me the sheet and it says, pray for cat in the hat. And I'm like, only a two and a half year old would ask prayer for cat in the hat. And, and his mom said, oh, he probably wants me to let him watch it. I don't like him to see that anymore, you know. And, and I'm like, no, I don't think that's it. Because when I watched it with them, see, I'm the guilty one. But when I watched it with them, I was like, look, he's messing up the house. That's not good because I'm trying to teach him to put everything back and all that. And he's like, yeah, that's not good. He repeats everything I say. So he's in there and he's like, man, this this guy needs to repent. Pray for him. But I love that even though it's a fictional character, even though it's Dr. Zeus, the, the heart is right. This isn't right. He needs to repent. He needs to change. And Jesus is saying we need to be more like that. Not childish, but childlike. Full of faith that we could persist in prayer and that we can bring our kids and that they really will walk with the Lord. Pastor Sam opened our study today by making the comment that things will get rougher and rougher for the Christian. And he was talking about us. Now, this is certainly not an encouraging and uplifting announcement. 
but the truth is not always encouraging and uplifting. However, I would like to point out some verses that will help add perspective to this. Shortly after being beaten for sharing the gospel and being warned not to do it again, listen to what it says that the apostles did. You'll find these verses in Acts 5:41 and 42, where it says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, many people reading this might think that these guys were nuts, but I, of course, do not. I know the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to me, this is just an example of a group of men guided by the Spirit who are sold out to do the work of the Lord. Trials and tribulations are not going to derail them. As a matter of fact, they are celebrating them. What an awesome perspective. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.